right. It is Monday, 427, April 27th, uh, first Monday after the draft. It feels eerily similar to a Monday after a huge sports weekend, which is kind of awesome. Haven't felt that way in a little while. Uh, this is the PFF forecast. Thanks for tuning in. We've got some fun stuff today. So we're going to obviously overview the draft. Um, we're going to do like what we would have done differently for the first round picks, what our favorite drafts were, least favorite drafts, um, and then react to some win totals. Like, should we be buying in right now? Um, what are some uh, players and picks that, that Matt really liked? You're writing a great article on that. So we'll talk about that. Um, and then apparently you have some ideas for how we can get through sports <laughs> desert. And I'm excited for that. Yeah. I'm, I, yeah, let's, uh, let's rock. And I'm really in a daze. I even forgot to say that. That's bad. Um, it's all good. All right, let's get to it. Uh, so just like big picture takeaway, everyone's takeaway this morning is like how awesome the draft was in terms of the technology working and all that stuff. I mean, I agree, obviously. The one thing that I thought maybe we were reacting to a little bit is there were still like as awesome as it was that we pulled it off, there were still a lot of things that were missing from it that I think, you know, people saying, Hey, we should actually do this full time. Like maybe we should pump the brakes a little bit because there's still some components that in a normal world, I think we want back. Well, don't you think that a lot of it is just our uh, standards just being so low? I mean, people are betting on league of legends right now. They're mm-hmm. betting on Madden Sims. They're watching sort of like, you know, shows on Netflix, like, we, we all sort of braced ourselves for the fact that this could have been bad. And then the fact that it wasn't bad, like we're all happy with it, right? Um, and I think to maybe, you know, the NFL will hopefully see this and say, well, maybe, you know, fans aren't going to react all that poorly to a season without fans, for example, because our right. standards will be so low. But season to season, this is probably not the way to do it, uh, despite it being, you know, kind of fun as a diversion from what we're currently going through as a country, yeah? Yeah, there, I feel like there's whenever you go through situations like this, you learn a lot, right? So you learn, you have to try things you wouldn't normally try. And because of that, you, you might pick up on a few pieces that are, that are great. Like you don't want to rerun the whole thing. I don't, I don't imagine that Roger Goodell in his basement is optimal. And you want fans, obviously, to be able to go enjoy the draft. One thing that I would consider keeping, though, is how do you make the, the teams more human? Because that to me was the most exciting part of this whole thing. It was seeing the differences in the GMs and the coaches houses from team to team. <laughs> I thought Belichick's dog sitting at the table was one of the best moments of the weekend. Um, the, the difference between Cliff Kingsbury's place and uh, like Eric DaCosta's who looks like he looked like he set up in his daughter's uh, like playroom, which was, I thought that was so cool. And oftentimes we get caught up in the machinery of it and the humanity of it. I thought was awesome. For sure. And I think the, you know, the fact that people, you know, wanted, I mean, I think like this, and I said this to you a number of times, you know, with respect to our broadcast versus with respect to ESPN and, like people, this is going to be a reorientation of a lot of things. And we saw it over the weekend with people prefer, a lot of people preferred our broadcast to the original broadcast. A lot of people had both of them on at the same time. Um, 
people, you know, this is a great time to sort of reorient what we think of sports and, you know, the, the history of a coach staying at the office 20 hours a day and never seeing his family, maybe that's reevaluated, right? People Mm -hmm. like us who work on football for a living, you know, maybe we rethink the way that we go about our jobs, right? All that kind of stuff. Or we rethink the way, you know, we allocate our resources with respect to studios, podcasts, writing articles. Like there, there is a great like uh, re-examination, right? That, that sometimes these perturbations, you know, yield to us that, that can really, you know, uh, change the way that we do sport. And I think some of them will be discarded immediately that norm, you know, immediately when normalcy takes place again, and some of them will be kept. And I think that that's, you know, part of a good evolutionary process. Yeah. Sadly, I, I don't think that the getting to see uh, coaches, kids and pets and all that stuff will be the part that's kept. Um, But I do believe that there will be a much greater virtual presence. I think there will be a lot more ways for fans to interact virtually. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think that will be cool. Uh, anything you want to get to before we dive into the draft? No, I, I mean, obviously, you know, just with PFF.com. I mean, I'm trying to catch up on all the things that people have written on our site <laughs> over the last few stuff. days, uh, as well as, you know, get prepared for next year. Um, but it, it's such a great, uh, experience and, um, you know, especially now when this is probably the last live sporting event we'll have in this country for at least a couple months, um, you know, <laughs> revel in it a little bit here, uh, you know, uh, because, you know, yeah, just cherish what we have currently. Yeah, I legitimately felt uh, similar to how I felt the Monday after the Super Bowl, or usually the Monday after the Super Bowl, yeah. where it's like, man, this is the last thing we've got for a while, how great it was, what a spectacle it was, yeah. how much work you put into it. Um, and this is even, I think there's an added element to the draft, obviously, which is I'm looking forward, like my team everyone's team changed dramatically yep. and that is a cool thing to look it felt to. kind of it felt good it felt alive to lose the tristan Worf's first offensive lineman prop <laughs> you know in a way that you know was just it, can't just can't be done when you're betting on madden sims or League was it of similar to how alive i felt when the clyde edwards hilaire first running back off the board prop hit and it was to your chiefs probably not i felt Dude, pretty alive i, I was had, very alive I had um, I was talking to our our mutual friend Seren Petro about this, and I had gotten a under one and a half running backs prop for plus like three hundred, like way back, and then I came back with an over one half running back prop, like later in the process, and like getting like my favorite team okay. drafting a running back in the first round, like the only thing that took the sting off of it was getting that middle. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so here's what we're going to start off with. I went through and I the whole first round, and I said, would I have made this p- same pick? And if I didn't, how bigly did I disagree? Was I like, what the F is going on here? Like, yeah. this is ridiculous. Or was it just like, you know, I would have done something different, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to burn down the house for it type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought the stats were somewhat interesting. So of the 32 first round picks, I agreed with 12 of them. I differed on 10, but only like marginally. And I was fervently 
differing with another 10. Does okay. that, does that feel right? It does. I mean, the issue, and we saw this in our, our friend Peter King's article this morning is like, for me, almost every pick I would have been like, well, I would have traded back. Right. But okay, assuming yeah. that you can't no trade backs, I sort of had a similar distribution as you. Um, How do you want to do this? Do you want to just go through them and say like whether this was one that we felt really strongly about and talk about it? Maybe. That's, yeah. That's so why. like, well, let's assume no trades. What did yep. you, so picks one through three, you still would have gone Washington with, with Tua, right? But yep. other than that, it made those three picks make sense. Yes. Now, so I put, so for Washington, I disagreed really strongly. And the reason I, I disagree really strongly here is not, it's not the chase. I love Chase Young. I, th- I, I have a thing where like freak athletes, I just love, like, I just, it's so fun to be in awe of the way that they're able to do things. So it's not a Chase Young thing. It's a, when are you ever going to have the second pick again thing? And you only get so many shots to take a quarterback in that spot. So to me, that was, that was a strong disagreement because now you're saddled with Haskins. And the tough thing is you're also saddled with probably a really good edge player. <laughs> well, that, well, and, and the other thing for me that makes the pick so bad, Who you're paying a ton. Well, yeah, well, not only that, but the thing that for me makes the pick so difficult to handle if I'm a Washington Redskins fan is the fact that the only way that you were going to outdraft the rest of the three teams in your division was to take a QB. Because everywhere else, I mean, Washington, or, uh, the New York Giants lapped you, the Dallas Cowboys lapped you twice, and the Philadelphia Eagles lapped you twice. So that's a great and there point. was really nothing for you to do at that number two spot that would have prevented any of that other than taking a quarterback and saying, yeah, we know that you guys are stacked, but look at this. If, if one of these two quarterbacks ends up to be really good, right. Mm-hmm. Then we, there's a good chance we have the best quarterback in the division because Dak is okay. Wentz is okay, but often injured and Daniel Jones probably isn't that good. So yep. like that was the only chance that you had. And now you're firmly the worst team in your division. And you got, and like the Delta between you and the other three teams got bigger. Correct. So, and there was only one way to mitigate that, and that was to take uh, so, Tua. So then I go to number three, and I went back and forth. So I wanted to disagree with this strongly because the Lions should have called the Dolphins bluff. They should have. And the worst-case scenario is you're stuck with Tua. Like, boo-hoo. Like, that's a fantastic place to be in. Either you get them to offer you – what you wanted originally, which is a boatload of picks because they realized like the shock that must've gone through the dolphins. It, it would have gone through the dolphins organization. If they had taken Tua. I think they would have panicked to be perfectly honest with you. And um, the worst case scenario is you have Tua. there's again, the, the lions have a, I think lower chance of getting a top three pick than the Redskins do next year. And so you only get this chance once now, you always have the opportunity to go up and get your guy, but you get to double that opportunity because you already have Tua there. So I would have taken two. I mean, the freaking – the Packers took a quarterback. Like, they have Aaron Rodgers. So if you have trouble taking a quarterback and you have Matt Stafford, I, I have a hard time with that. That being said, Jeff Okuda is great. Yep. Yeah, so – and then so we get to number four here. Now, we like Thomas, the – numbers 
like once once you did all the the combine and stuff, we were a little bit lower on him. But if you would not have taken the combine into consideration, he would have been our best offensive line prospect. Now, again, trading back all that kind of stuff out the window. I kind of like this pick. Mm-hmm. Yep, I didn't. This was this was one that I I did not have an issue with. Um, I, I would have made a different pick, but I didn't have an issue with it. Same with Tua, right at five. Yep, yep. Tua was fantastic. Um, now the, the, the Chargers two... at six. You would have taken Derek Brown, I'm guessing. <laughs> so I was rewatching our our uh, podcast from Thursday night when I got you on the DeAndre Swift. Uh, I was like, you know, there's a lot of good players left. There's Michael Pittman, Lucius Chanel, DeAndre Swift. You're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like already just half asleep. Um, so these are two that I put WTF and highlighted in red for the Chargers and the Panthers because first off with Herbert, the accuracy simply wasn't there for him to be a top 10, much less like even first round quarterback. And it fits so poorly with where their organization is at. They're so competitive literally everywhere else. And I keep bringing this up, but like you could have had Jameis Winston and any player you wanted, right? CeeDee Lamb, Tristan Wirfs, um, Isaiah Simmons, all of those combinations are so much more valuable than a guy now who you basically have to will into the starting spot. And if he can't look better than Tyrod Taylor in practice, you've got problems because all of those guys are there to win. Yeah. Well, and that's the issue we were talking. I was in a discussion the other day about Clyde Edwards, a layer and like, Oh, oh, Andy Reid's too smart to, you know, to to throw him the ball or hand him the ball to it. It's like, well, some of these decisions are not made by the coach, right? After the GM and the owner stick their neck out for a player, like Tyrod could outperform Herbert in training camp, Mm -hmm. but Herbert's probably going to start at some point just because the owner's going to be like, look, we, we stuck our neck out for this player and you know, what the heck, right? And, yep. and so I think that's also part of the risk here of taking him. It's not as it's not as like it's not as simple as saying, well, if he's not the best player, then we're going to go ahead uh, and play the best player. You're going to play him, and there's a significant downside to playing him because he's not very good at this point. With Derek um, Brown, um, the you know it's tough because it's like I don't. I'm not trying to be the negative guy here who is hating on people it's a position thing it is yeah. it is you are a run stuffing interior defender and as awesome as that is that you're a big dude doing that the seventh overall pick should be a guy that has a chance to li- i was i think of it this way like if you have a top 10 pick the player you take at the upper end of their their oper- at their distribution like if they hit if they reach their ceiling, they should be jumping your team into the next tier of teams. And Derek Brown, by virtue of what he does, is not going to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're barely going to notice him next year, unfortunately. And, and, and that could be great. That's not his fault. And we like here's the here's the thing that I, I want to sort of impart. There are people who watch the NFL on a weekly basis who have no clue who Aaron Donald is. If there was not a pro football focus. Aaron Donald would not have been noticed until the season he had 20 sacks. And he is the, he is the shining light of what Derek Brown could be at some, like he's, he's the best that Derek Brown could be. 
and he was barely noticeable because the Rams, A, didn't win any games, and B, he played at a pretty nondescript position. And, and to me, if Derrick Brown is 80% of Aaron Donald, he's awesome. He's going to be a great player, but no one's going to – like it's not going to move the needle at all in the perception uh, of the team. And I just don't – like that to me is what I don't get. It's like I, I, I just don't get it. And, and you know, they could have taken Isaiah Simmons here. They could have taken a wide receiver here. I mean, to compete in the AFC, NFC South, the idea that a run-stuffing defensive tackle is what it takes to me is blasphemous at this point. So I have a question for you. Would you, if you were the Panthers and you were given two choices, you can either take Jordan Love or Derek Brown, who would you have taken? Wow. Because I, I would have taken Jordan Jordan Love. Love. I, it, even though I think that Jordan Love stinks, I, I don't think, I think that if he comes out ahead, uh, you, you know, if he breaks out, like it's, it's a game changer for it, whoever drafts them. And it includes Green Bay. I mean, uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but if it did, whereas at Derek Brown, like it's far more likely he'll be good relative to his position, but it's just not going to matter that much. Uh, Isaiah Simmons and CJ Henderson, I both, uh, I was okay with, I would have made the Mm -hmm. same pick. um, Henderson may be a little overdrafted given the rest of the cornerback market, but it it was clear that trading back was not, it was not necessarily an option for a lot of teams. So, I'm fine with it. We talked about this on the show. The Jaguars did the exact opposite thing that the Panthers did, which was in a couple of years, if all their draft picks hit, they're going to be great. Whereas if in the Pan- Panthers, if all their draft picks hit, they're going to have a, a higher floor. You know, it, it, and I think I prefer obviously the way Jacksonville approached it. Yep. Um, where did you fall on the Browns with Jedrick Wills? I thought worse is better player. Um, there are a lot of tackles I think that are. I think there are a lot of tackles I would have taken over Wills, um, including Wirfs. Uh, so uh, even Becton, for me, meshes with what they do better, you know, as far <laughs> as like a zone blocking, uh, you know, the run game type of thing. Um, but they went with Wills. Uh, and the interesting thing is, is that he's, he's going to probably have to play left tackle in the NFL. And he never did that in college. I, I disagreed with both of these. I was actually stronger – in disagreement on Becton. And the reason I was is that both these teams can't afford a disaster at tackle. Yep. This is the thing that it, it, the reason that tackles don't generate as much value as people think is that they determine less of the pressure rate than people believe, right? Pressure rate is determined in large part by the quarterback. And the second thing is that being average is fine. It's being terrible that you can't afford. And, and Becton, to me, has higher variance. So if, if you're saying which one of these like, was the safer choice, and that's what it should be when you're taking a tackle, it was Wills. The Becton one, like, you look at the guys that were still there, like Tristan Wirfs, I'm so much more confident that Tristan Wirfs is at least going to be average. Yeah. And maybe Becton ends up being better. Maybe he ends up being Tyron Smith. Great. But like, it's still – it still matters that you don't take the risk of him being bad. So well, the other, the other part of the jets pick that's an atrocity is that they didn't get a wide receiver. The so, best wide receivers are on the board and they decided to go. And, and the Sam Darnold era in, in New York is going to be too ambiguous to figure out anything about him, which is the tragedy of the New York jets currently. 
That was that was the other thing, right? Like CD Lamb sitting there, Jerry Judy sitting there, Henry Ruggs, and Ruggs is Henry sitting Ruggs there. Is Even sitting if you wanted to go off the wall a little bit, like the Raiders didn't take Ruggs, like he was there. So I didn't have a problem with the Raiders. I didn't have a problem with the Bucks. Um, I differed on the Niners, but it wasn't. I this is different. I can't put a WTF here. I can't go like what the what the fuck are you doing? Because at least they value the bright parts of interior defensive line. Like they took a physical beast who is going to be able to rush the passer effectively, and they traded DeForest Buckner for him. So like those two things going into it, I was able to not like put it on my really, really bad list. I still would have made a different pick, right? I would have gone CeeDee Lamb um, or, or Jerry Judy there. Yeah, I mean, the Niners getting their pick of the probably the consensus two best wide receivers in the draft and then deciding to go with Kinlaw was pretty predictable, you know, after the fact, but also not a great decision. Think about what the narrative would be if the Niners came out of this with Ayuk and um, and Lamb or Ayuk and Judy. It would be very I, – I don't think their defense, their defensive projection changes much, to be honest with you. I agree because you can get well, – I mean, Jordan Elliott fell super far. Um, you know, there were defensive interior players that were available, and I understand that they're not Kinlaw, but we mis, we misjudge the difference between, um, you know, elite and average for defensive interior and for wide receiver. Like, yep. we just, I mean, our projection for C.D. Lamb is four times what it is for, you know, Javon Kinlaw, right? Like, Yeah, it, that, it's, it's, it's un. <laughs> The hard part is, is the 49ers, we talked about this pre-draft, right? And this is why, you know, I even would have went corner at 13 before I would have went um, defensive lineman. They see, they saw this draft as a maintenance draft. When, in my opinion, when you have a quarterback like Jimmy G and a, and you're a defense first team, every single offseason needs to be a a moving forward off season mm-hmm. because you do not know when your quarterback is going to take a step back. Right. And you like Jimmy G as much as anybody, but you will admit that he is not a top five guy. He is, he is in that group of quarterbacks that every once in a while you get 2018 Kirk cousins and every once in a while you get 2019 Kirk cousins. Right. And you, and your team has to be anti-fragile to that, the, to the whims of an average quarterback. Right. And, yeah. and they, they're not, they went, they did this draft to, as a maintenance approach as opposed to a let's hit the ball out of the, out of the park type of thing. That you lost the Super Bowl to a team who's the reason they won was because they were offensively more uh, capable than you. And to me, that should have been an eye opening experience. All right. Uh, Judy Broncos uh, obviously agreed with. Um, now, I wanted to talk to you about the Falcons because there is. Uh, belief that teams tried to trade up with the Falcons and I don't know if that's true or not but I have two there are two reasons that I disagree with this I don't disagree with it very strongly but CeeDee Lamb still there and trade back still there both of those options I actually think are pretty preferable like decisively preferable to AJ Terrell Um, and I'm curious if you agree or not yeah, I mean, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, at that particular position, the other thing about AJ Terrell is we don't even know if he was the 16th best player on any consensus board. Um, you know, I like Atlanta's approach to trying to 
make their secondary better. We talked about this on the show the other day. If, if Keanu Neal, Ricardo Allen and company all stay healthy, they could be good in the back end. Uh, and this really helps them there. And that's really where they're, they've sucked in recent seasons, but Calvin Ridley's no, no sure thing. Julio is great, but you know, we've seen the limitations of just having him in the past. They lost Austin Hooper. Um, and their offensive line is me, you know, kind of whatever. So having another receiver that can get open quickly, Matt Ryan doesn't handle pressure very well. He doesn't move around the pocket very well. It could have really helped them. That being said, I, I almost never will ding a team for taking a corner, much like Jacksonville, when you're trying to, you know, sort of get better. I, my only issue is maybe Terrell was a little bit overdrafted. And I think teams wanted to move up for Lamb. I really do. I mean, we know the Cowboys got calls, right? Like, yeah, I mean, we were right. And that, and that's the thing. And and so my question is, is did they value Terrell too much then? Because basically what they're saying is, no, we think this guy's worth this pick, which is almost never the case, right? It was almost never the case that this one guy, the Bert, you know, it's the endowment effect, right? Never, you know, you're something that you currently carry is, is worth more to you than it would be on the open market, which is never the rational thing. C.D. Lamb obviously agreed with um, the Dolphins and the Raiders both got what the living H are you doing? Um, the the Dolphins to me it was like Austin Jackson, his P- PFF grade was in the mid seventies, and why are you taking a project at tackle when you just drafted Tua? And the Raiders did this, did something more egregious than what the Falcons did. They miscast, they misvalued Damon Arnett for his toughness maybe um where in the first round like you need to be taking blue chip guys and they didn't do that yeah this is again another one where you think of like we we ascribe brilliance to these teams you know uh really good you know and you know miami great job waiting back great job fooling the whole you know country that you're going to take herbert and then you get Tua, and then they come back and take austin jackson here when plenty of players uh you know better than him are available um so i you know it's just another example of these teams are kind of swimming around and making you know markovian decisions and these two were bad ones the the arnett one was interesting because you know we often talk about age right and having it explained on the air i thought was great by mike and austin where they're saying look if you're 23 years old and you're just average at ohio state like that is an advantage that you will not have at the NFL level. Mm -hmm. And so like how much better can you get? It it, it doesn't mean he can't, but it does, it does show uh, a decent amount of issues there and why age should be a part of any projection model. That's a great point. Um, What about chase on at, at uh, 20 to the Jaguars? My issue with chase on is that a, he didn't project that well. Right. Um, and so you're making this like Daniil Hunter, Hunterian sort of like, hey, let's project him here. But there's so much difference there. And Hunter's, Hunter went to the Vikings who, like, the Vikings, I, you know, I give them a lot of shit, but they're a really good franchise at a lot of things. Hunter was, you know, unproductive. They took him in the third round, not the first round. They made him sit on the bench for two years, and then he became one of the best defensive ends in football. He also has longer arms. He's also like got to play with Everson Griffin, who had almost the exact same career arc. Like Chason's going to the going to Jacksonville, and he doesn't get any of these advantages. And yet we we draft him two you know rounds higher, and 
give him that sort of lofty expectation. I just I have a hard time seeing him hit that. But if he does, the Jags will have two really good defensive players out of this draft, probably. Yes, I disagreed with this. I felt like it was a Yannick Ngakwe pick. Mm-hmm. Like we're getting rid of Ngakwe, so we have to make this pick. Which is else. a bad way to draft, folks, it's not, especially it's, when you're a bad team. It's not an intelligent – I mean, with Rager, Jefferson still there, um, Pittman as well. They ended up taking Chenault, which was one of my favorite picks, but I disagree with that one. Rager and Jefferson I agreed with. Yep. Um, I, I have a what in the living hell are you doing for the Chargers at 23 with Kenneth Murray. And this isn't just about Kenneth Murray. They traded up, right? They gave up, was it like 34 and um, – They didn't pick until day three after this pick. Yeah, I think it was 34 and 71, 35 and 71. Um, and to, to trade up those two players, like there's a really good chance that just one of those players randomly selected in those spots is better than Kenneth Murray or that Kenneth Murray is still available at one of those two spots. And then there's a whole other player tacked onto it, right? Like – the, the chances of you winning that trade are so low. Um, you know, I think it was below uh, 40% for the Chargers to win that trade. And it's really hard, you know, since we've you know redone this, it's really hard to lose a trade 60% of the time. Um, so, you know, my hat's off to the Patriots here for doing what they seemingly always do. Uh, but the Chargers were had here. And I can't, I can't see, I can't look at a team like the Chargers and think to myself, okay, Everything that went wrong last year, linebacker is where the problem is solved. I just I can't see that. Uh, and Murray being that linebacker just doesn't make any sense to me. Yep. Um, and then I disagreed with like the next four picks. So Cesar Ruiz, I would have done differently. Brandon Ayuk, obviously, I just wouldn't have traded up for. Um, I don't have a problem like with actually taking him there when you're there. Yeah. Um, Jordan and Jordan Love, I obviously would have done differently. I wouldn't have traded up. And Jordan Brooks, I would not have taken a linebacker. Did you see that tweet that said if Jordan Brooks had run the three cone and short shuttle um, in in at the combine, he would have been taken before. He'd have been taken in the first half of the first round. So we, so apparently we're just we're just missing out information that that Seattle gleaned from something. Apparently, I still have trouble taking a linebacker there when you play too many linebackers to begin with. Um, like Patrick Queen, and then I disagreed with uh, with Isaiah Wilson um, pretty dramatically because he's probably a guard. Uh, any of those that, that you want to comment on? Yeah, I mean, somebody, you know, I was on the radio just recently, um, and they were like, the Ravens had a great draft. And I agree that the Ravens got some really good players late, uh, James Frochet, Geno Stone, um, but they also got, uh, you know, running back in the second round. And this Queen pick, Okay, I get it. They were bad. Like the the Ravens are always this like great example team. First four weeks of the season, they're two and two. They're really struggling. Where they're struggling to stop the run. They're struggling in coverage in the middle of the field, and they were able to rectify it by trading for a corner, right? Using Brandon Carr and Chuck Clark and the other safeties kind of more differently, right? And they signed L.J. Ford off the street, and I believe it was Josh Bynes off the street. Like they solved that problem, not needing a first round pick to do it. Right. And like, so I understand that if you're a team like the Ravens, you don't want to have to fly by the seat of your pants for all of these solutions. But, and so you buy some certainty here with queen, but I just, I just don't get it. I I think in a draft that 
included receivers that could have really helped them. And that was their one weakness, I, I think, a season ago. I, I just think they aired a little bit here. I, and, you know, they get a great player. He's probably going to be fine. Um, but uh, I just didn't like the pick that much. Well, it was, I think, compounded by going running back next. Yes. That's, that's the bigger issue. Yeah. Um, and then the one that, that – the last one that I, like, really strongly disagreed with um, was Clyde Hilaire. And this video has been shared a bunch of times now. It's, you know, it's Brett Veach talking about how a guy like Hilaire takes you from ending up in second and like, I think he said seven or eight to second and, and two or three. And so I, I get, I think what he's trying to say, it's just a poor way to try and say it. Right. Which is like, this running back is going to make the difference of like six to seven yards per, per attempt. Right. Like that's obviously ridiculous. Um, the the bigger issue I think here though is the idea that so I believe what he's trying to say is there's going to be a handful of plays a game where we're going to run the ball on first down and or dump it off to a running back and in those situations we believe Hilaire you know is going to take one or two of those plays and turn them from a two-yard gain into an eight-yard gain and that's fine that's great but there are a lot of other like kind of side effects that come along with that, giving him more carries in general. The issue of saying, well, if I see him do it once, I think he'll do it again. And then, you know, throwing it to him again, right? Like all of these things um, compound themselves. And then not to mention that we overvalue, we, we overestimate how much of that is on Hilaire himself. Like a lot of it is just the scheme itself. Yeah, I, I've said this. I mean, if they use Clyde Edwards-Alaire the same way that they use Damian Williams, I have no doubt that their offense is going to be better than it was a season ago. Um, because, and here's the thing, Damian Williams had a, like two 80-plus yard rushing touchdowns. He was amazing in the Super Bowl. So I do think people are underestimating the 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 amount of times an average NFL running back can do great things, right? Like, let's throw that out there. But the problem is, and you know, maybe Andy Reid is immune to this, but I don't think so. I think every coach is, you know, he wants to use their new toys and stuff like that. Maybe they don't. I mean, they never did that with Sammy Watkins, who they spent a lot of money on. If they increase their early down run percentage, or they increase the amount of times they give the ball to the back, as opposed to giving the ball to their already brilliant wide receivers and tight end, that is going to be a net negative for the team. I, no matter who the running back is, if it's Christian McCaffrey, if it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Zeke, if it's Damian Williams, it's just going to have a negative effect on the team. And I just, to me, that's the part of this pick. Additionally, you know, the fact that he wasn't even the best running back on the board, according to the betting markets, the fact that the Chiefs, you know, could have easily gotten him, I think, in the second round via trade-up or something like that. Like, all that aside, like the fact that they're going to try to use him too much is going to be, I think, the negative part of this pick it just it it reeks to me of of being too confident that you are where you are and nothing can knock you down and you win the super bowl and you feel kind of invincible and it's like anything that i add is just gravy on top and it's like stuff happens and your team is not going to it, you just don't shouldn't expect it to be as good as it was the season before. And you kind of always want to think about how do I reload in the places that mean the most. And so this is certainly not it because it just doesn't mean that much like in the grand scheme of things. And it also is getting way more 
popular praise because of the whole fantasy angle to it. Yeah, which, I mean, that's really it. I mean, you know, like that, I think if it weren't for that, you know, people would be much, much more willing to, you know, to, to downgrade it. I mean, in general, I just feel as though the, there were a lot of running backs taken early in the second round as well. And it felt like everyone was just spending their day trying to rationalize why those picks were made. And I, I, I think the people, I think we probably have not done as good of a job and, and a lot of people along with us have not done as good of a job of being understanding and trying to explain why that's a poor pick because it's because you keep getting blowback. But at the same time, people spending their like entire day trying to rationalize why this was a smart pick is a little frustrating. Yeah. Well, and it's the same thing with the Sony Michelle pick a season ago. Um, same thing with, um, you know, everything. I, yeah. The Ravens too, like this idea that every single decision that's made by a, you know, smart coach, smart franchise is smart is, is silly. And I, you know, there, there may be such, there may be things that we don't understand about the running back position, but I, 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 I really doubt the the sort of qualitative conclusion that, you know, you can get a running back anywhere. Now this draft, it was less true probably because so many teams got a running back in the second round, but year after, I mean, there's tons of teams that forewent that decision and ended up getting great value in the draft at other positions. So yeah, I don't know, man, I, at the same time, I do think the running back like discussion is a tired one, right? Yes. Um, so I try to stay away from it, but it's too easy sometimes. And it really sort of like, we just don't get it. I think, you know, as a, as a, as a, you know, community. So it is de- you know an important one to rehash. Uh, but it's just frustrating here because, you know, we're going, you know, we're going to see uh, chiefs offense probably perform pretty well this year. And people are going to overfit that to the idea that Clyde Edwards, Alaire is the, you know, was the right draft pick for them to make at the time. Oh, absolutely. Who would you have taken there at 32? I mean, there's a, uh, you know, I would have taken, man, McKinney. let me look at, let me look at some of these. So Pittman would have been a good one for them. Cause he's unlike any receiver the chiefs have uh, McKinney and Duggar also, you know, good spots for them. Um, you know, I wouldn't even been upset with Ross Blacklock, who's a good player. Um, you know, obviously Chenault, Delpit, Winfield, like there's a ton of players that could have helped the chiefs right away and probably added more uh, over what they were sort of getting at the current positions. Um, you know, yeah. so that, that would have been my, ta- my take. Uh, I want to get to our favorite uh, team's drafts, but one last thing that I wanted to bring up and in our conversations, our discussions that we had like rehashing the draft with Mike and Steve and Austin, which I think were really good. And you guys should check them out. If, if you're sitting there looking for interesting draft discussion was okay, teams don't have a lot of these guys that we have on our board, on their board, for various reasons. And that, to me, is another way, another like example of overfitting. Like You are so keen on your ability to pick out guys that either make the cut or don't make the cut that you, you, you trim everything down way too much. And so you get in a situation where you go, we only have one guy that we take right here. So we're either going to like trade up and I think this is what happened to the Niners. Like Ayuk's the only guy we take right here. So we're going to trade up to make sure we get him. And 
given that, that you're in that situation, I understand it. If you only have one player that you see as being worthy of taking there, then sure, right? Because then your models, total, your, your value proposition is very different. But that isn't the case, right? We know like for a fact that there isn't just one player that's going to be good in that position. There are many options. And so I think if I'm building a team and I'm thinking about the draft process, one of the things that I would really carefully look at is how do we make sure that we never get in a situation where our hand is forced, where we have to take this player way too early because we don't have anyone else, or we're forced to trade up and hemorrhage assets because that's the only guy we would have taken, or, or we're forced to trade back and we end up actually not making a good deal. You know, that, that would be another option. But to me, that's a huge inefficiency. If you have enough options that you are comfortable with and you've, done, you've studied on then you can make these decisions that end up being positive expected value instead of feeling trapped. A hundred percent. And we, you know, we, we know that we know that, you know, basically players player N and player N plus one in a draft basically yield the same value. Um, and yet we act as though the coveted player N is so much more, you know, that, that I need that guy. And I know that scheme and everything is important. And I've documented that pretty well on the, on the website and stuff. Scheme, scheme is important, but the thing about scheme is that it changes. And for some of these teams, like you're making three-year draft selections relative to a scheme that might only be there for one year. And that's even when the coach is staying there. Like, I don't think the 49ers are going to run the same stuff three years from now that they're running now. Right. So how, you know, are we overvalue? I, I think the answer is clearly yes, right? I think the answer is clearly yes that we overvalue scheme fit. Uh, if you're something- making, if you're making a pick because it fits your scheme, that is not a reason to take the guy in the first round. That is a, it has to happen for every player you take. And if you're taking a player in the first round, they should probably transcend scheme to a certain degree. Like this player is great, and that means he'll be able to, he'll be great in my scheme too, right? Like CD Lamb. I'm sure would be perfectly fine in, in the Niners scheme. Like, I think he'd be great to be perfectly honest with you. Yep. Um, okay. Let's do uh, top five and bottom five drafts. Uh, you want to do bottom five or top five first? Let's do uh, top five. Let's be, let's be positive. Let's be positive. It feels good to be positive. Although I can't be fake positive. I know that that's like a thing to do right now because life kind of sucks for a lot of people. And so it's like everything we got to put a positive spin on it. There's a place for realism in, in the world. <laughs> I should just say that there's, a, there's saying, value in it for sure. I'm not saying I do the greatest job of, of putting it out there in the most measured way all the time, but like, it is important to be realistic and try yeah. to do that. Okay. Your top five, uh, go in order from, from five to one. Okay, and this is going to go up on this. So we have an article coming out called the basically the the mathematical darlings of the draft, and this is going to come straight from there for me. My favorite draft was the Arizona Cardinals. That's number one. That's number one for me. Oh, okay. I thought we were going to go the other order. So five to one. So you're most. Oh. So we know okay. you've already. So you already tell me what your best one is. That's yep. that's interesting because that's not my top one. Um, yep, I just think I just think the draft using the draft capital on a veteran in Hopkins was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Simmons is Simmons is a player I think that should have gone in the top four of the draft. Uh, Josh Jones is a is a terrific get. So they're a team that I think got the I, I think they got the most better <laughs> you know out yes. of this 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 week. Okay, so 
I love that criteria because I chose one that was slightly different and this will make this conversation good. I looked at it from what did you do? How, how well did you draft above what like someone walking into the situation and just being shown like the top list of players would do? And the Cardinals, yes, they did the right thing in all of those situations, but they also had like Bill O'Brien hand them DeAndre Hopkins. Great. Like anyone would take that deal, right? Like they got rid of David Johnson. Um, Isaiah Simmons is sitting there at eight. I think anyone would have made that pick. Josh Jones has slipped like two rounds too far. Anyone would have made that pick. So they're on my list. My, uh, in, in five for me are the Jags. And I really went back and forth on this. And the reason that I, I put the Jags there is not because I loved all of their picks, but I thought that they made choices that fit what they need to be doing. So they had the ninth pick in this draft. They need to not have the ninth pick in next year's draft. They need to have picks one, two, or three. Or picks 20 through 32. Absolutely. And here's a pick that I really liked from them in that regard, which is Jake Luton uh, of, Oregon, of Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have two quarterbacks that at worst will be two really good backup quarterbacks in the NFL and at best could be, you know, competing for a starting job. Like I think Luton is a good projection relative to Gardner Minshew. So they're, they're, they had a good philosophy in this draft, in my opinion. Yep. And I thought that was, that was one of the reasons they got there. So LaVisca Chenault was a big one for me, but to me, they made some choices that at least seemed to have a rhyme or reason. I, I, was going to put the Bengals in here, but the Bengals like just got handed to them. So like, yeah. that's great. They're awesome. Okay. My, my second favorite draft was the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. You're still going in reverse order, but I understand. Well, um, I already went one. That's true. That's true. Right, so I'm just going to go, I'm going to okay. go with it. You're going to go up. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. I, I like that. Um, There's not really an explanation, right? Davion Taylor is a great pick. Jalen hurts mm-hmm. is a great pick. Jalen Rager is a great pick. And then lastly, um, Jack Driscoll is an yes. awesome pick where they got him. So to me, uh, that's a great draft. They don't, I don't know how much better they get because they're already pretty good, but they, they did a really good job. Okay. Very nice. I'm glad you had them high. Uh, my, my fourth most impressive was the Cardinals. We already talked about them. Um, I'm excited. And I also thought that the rest of their division had average to below average drafts. So like that, that is a big thing too, right? Like I think the Eagles, the Cowboys also had a really good draft. The Giants also had a really good draft. So like if you're looking at positive returns this year, I think the Cardinals might be the one that sticks out the most because of what everyone else did. Uh, Okay. Third for you. The Dallas Cowboys. I, I have the Denver Broncos. Um, The Cowboys and the Eagles are both in my top two though. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's not a whole digs, digs and lamb win for me. The, the, everybody else is just, you know, icing on the cake, frankly. Um, but they, they got better. They enhanced the strength. They fortified a weakness. They're, they're the favorite in the NFC East right now. And they should be. The Bronx. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with the Cowboys. I thought what was interesting about the Cowboys is they were, again, they were sitting there, and it fell to them, and they, they still, to their credit, took the players that they should have taken, which a lot of teams did not, you know, do that. Um, but the reason – so then the Broncos – I went back and forth between the Broncos and the Cowboys. The, the Eagles ended up being my uh, 
favorite draft. And the reason that the, I thought the Eagles beat both those teams out was they made picks that I don't think every Joe off the street would have made. I think in, in round one, I think a lot of people and I think a lot of fans would have been much more happy with Justin Jefferson. I thought Rager was 100% the right pick. Jalen Rager brings speed. He brings an element to that offense they just simply haven't had. His athleticism was in the 100th percentile for us. Like the guy is an athletic freak. Um, and they found value in a place that, uh, you know, the common – I listened to a podcast this weekend where the two people couldn't pronounce – they didn't know how to pronounce Jalen Rager's name. <laughs> like people don't know who this guy is. And to, and to me, that was fantastic. And then Hertz is the same thing. People would not have made that pick – it showed a level of study and detail that most teams don't have. Jalen Hurts is a was a phenomenal college quarterback, and if he can be a serviceable backup for Carson Wentz, then it's certainly worth that pick. If he can be added as a gadget on offense, certainly worth that pick. And then every other pick from there on out addressed versatility on defense and speed in the receiving core on offense. And to me, that is that is perfect that that was like exactly what they needed to do and they went above the kind of common man you know common knowledge thing to make it happen yep um okay so my fourth favorite draft is going to be let me look at uh the new york giants so another nfc east team i I can get on board with that um the reason the giants didn't make mine and maybe they should have uh was that they? I didn't feel as though they addressed like the number one way to help Daniel Jones, which is receiver. Yeah, I, right. I mean, that's the big one. But you you could look at Darius Slayton. Uh, you can look at uh, obviously Golden Tate and, and Shepard, and then uh, you know the tight end Evan Ingram. They do have weapons, so I can see where they come from. But you and I totally would have taken a receiver. Yep. So, um, and who was your your fifth favorite? The Denver Broncos. Okay. So and, I w- and the reason – and the, the only reason that I think is because I think Denver had, had less – Denver improved less because they didn't have as far to go as, as the Giants. Interesting. I, I really like the Broncos. The Broncos were one of the few teams that doubled down in rounds one and two on receiver. Like I can't believe more – like that wasn't a more popular thing. Um, and to me that took – that took stones, but it was certainly the right decision because, and I've said this a ton of times, but like you don't have to fill out a roster in the draft. You want to take advantage of the strong position groups in the draft because that's when you can pick multiple of those players. So like if next year the receiving class say is terrible for some reason, and I don't think it will be, but say it is, um, then you're not going to take a receiver, like if they're really bad, right? But in a place where they're really good, you want to double down there. They did that. I thought that was fantastic. And the rest of their draft, they they continued to address things, right? They took a fast uh, tight end in Albert O. Um, that was great. They took a uh, lineman uh, in, in Cushenberry. Um, all of those things addressed it, making sure that Drew Locke has an environment to do well in. And so I, I love that. Um, and that's why. So for me, I went from uh, – Five to one. I went Jags, Cardinals, Broncos, Cowboys, Eagles. Right. And I went Denver, New York, uh, Dallas, Philadelphia, and then Arizona, who is my – Arizona's like – 
Arizona is a team I'm going to watch very intensely this year. Don't you think? Yep. Isn't, isn't right it going to be fun? You. Like there's teams that the Browns were this way a couple of years ago. Um, you know, uh, I'm pretty excited, you know, for the, the, the Arizona Cardinals this year. I'm just, I'm excited. A lot of teams got way more fun. Like the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Cardinals, the Broncos, all those teams got way more fun. I'll say this about the Cowboys too. They now become like, I can't think of a harder besides the chiefs, like a harder team to try and defend like in the passing game, all three of those guys, Cooper, one of the best parts of this move is that Cooper is one of the most lethal slot guys in the NFL, but he's, you know, he's used outside a tremendous amount, but in the slot, I want to say his pass room and target is like 148 or yeah, something yeah. like that. Like it's Unreal. ridiculous. So that adds so much multiplicity to that. All right. Bottom five. Let's go um, from least worst to worst. So fifth, so fifth, fifth, fifth worst. worst. Yep. Okay. Um, let me, let me, let me find my list here again. Um, All right, I'll go first. Yeah, you go um, ahead. I have the Carolina Panthers. Um. All defense uh, with the seventh pick they took, as we talked about, Derek Brown. It's not a th- – I think actually Derek Brown's probably one of the cooler dudes in this draft, but it's just a miscalculation of value. And then they just continue to take defensive players when they've invested enough on the offense to, like, try and keep investing on the offense. And to me, the problem with this draft was it raises their floor but doesn't raise their ceiling a whole lot. And so it – leaves them in limbo far more often than I think they want to be as a Teddy Bridgewater fan. Like I'm, I'm in, I'm in with Teddy Bridgewater. I feel bad for the guy because I don't know what the end, like, I don't know what the end game is here for him. They did nothing to help him out. Yeah. And I mean, you gross Matos, Jeremy chin, Troy pride, jr. Kenny Robinson. Like I like a lot of these, like I, I, you know, I really like Kenny Robinson. I think that's a steal. Um, I like Troy Pride Jr. I get, as yeah. as Mike alluded to, that probably means they're changing their defensive philosophy, but it makes it's incongruent with what they've done, which is sign Teddy Bridgewater and then sign Christian McCaffrey to this big deal. I'm going to go the fifth worst team, and it hates I hate saying this, but it's my Kansas City Chiefs. I do okay. not like the Hilaire pick, um, even though I think he'll be great. I think the Willie Gay pick p- makes a lot of sense, um, but and and they would have been out of this group. Uh, had they not traded a 2021 sixth round pick to move back into the seventh round to take Bo Peep Keys, uh, a defensive back from Tulane, I, I just don't get it. And here's the thing: they'll still be good, right? Uh, you know, Chris Jones hangs around. I think that's another negative about this about this draft. Uh, but they'll still they'll they'll find a way to make to be good this season. Um, but long term, I just don't think the Chiefs accomplished what they should have accomplished this week. Yep. There were a couple teams that I wanted to put in here, like the Bears and the Texans, but they just got incompletes. Like I only want to look at teams that like had enough draft picks for me to even talk about. Yeah. Um, the Chiefs were number four for me uh, because of the Hilaire thing. But Willie Gay Jr. and Luke Niang, I thought fit perfectly with what they needed to be doing, which is addressing areas of value and trying to keep themselves bulletproof going forward. If they had changed pick number one to corner or receiver, like someone that really helps – Pat Mahomes stay on the top of his game. That would have been a, maybe a top five draft for me. Willie Gay Jr. is perfect. Can cover at the linebacker position. And then Yang, they, like they have a great offensive line coach. This is that was a great pick um, by them. But you can't you can't burn a first round pick. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. So, okay. Um, where did you go at? So you went, you went already at five. So what's your fourth? I went the, the chiefs. So I went Panthers okay. and then chiefs. Okay. Chiefs. All right. And then for me, I actually left the Panthers off because I like some of their later picks. Mm-hmm. Um, my fourth least favorite draft was the new Orleans saints. Oh, interesting. I got on board with the saints a little bit. Um, because I convinced myself that Cesar Ruiz fits the win now mentality. I don't like the collection of moving up, trading future picks, moving back in, and then having your top players be like interior players. Like I, I can't do it. I, they drafted Eric McCoy last year. I think got a great value for him relative to the Vikings with, you know, Garrett Bradbury in round one, but that I just didn't. I just didn't like how they approached this draft, um, and they did get a couple of trade backs to sort of salvage a little bit, um, but ultimately, it just you know wasn't my thing. Yep, I can get on board with that. Uh, third worst, I went with the Rams. Um, the fact that the Rams have so many issues, and they took a running back, and then a, like older receiver in round. Uh, was it three with Van Jefferson was just like mystifying to me I, I, I the Cam Akers pick was just I, I couldn't believe it like you have traded away so much of this capital you literally drafted Daryl Henderson last year and you can't take I don't care take a project on the offensive line I mean Josh Jones was available right when Cam Akers was picked I think uh, so yeah that that one was inexplicable to me I could see the Rams Unless Sean McVay pulls a rabbit out of his out of his uh, out of his head, to quote Witten, like I, this could be a bad year for them. Yeah, I don't hate that. I I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks as the third worst draft. Um, they they did draft a lot of interior. You know, they drafted Lyman late, and then they went on and cut you know, some of their veteran players on the interior of the offensive line, mm-hmm. despite the fact that this is a year where I think continuity probably matters more than anything. Um, and picking a player uh, in Jordan Brooks at 27 just makes zero sense to me. Uh, and then their, their second pick, which I believe was a trade up for Daryl Taylor made even less sense. Yeah. Um, so to me, they did the least with the most here. That's actually one that I, I probably should have put on here and I did not. Uh, my second worst were the Chargers. Um, kind of like I feel as though they panicked uh, with Herbert at six and then the trade up. The combination of those two things I thought resulted in adding less value than you could have possibly imagined with having the sixth pick and then those two other picks. And they ended up with two players who – I just, I can't see them making that big of a difference this year. So yep. it's the chargers for me. What do you, okay. And I, and I'm the same. And I think we're both going to have the same last yeah. place the, team, which the, is the green Bay Packers, the green Bay Packers. Yeah. There's a bigger difference for me between the Packers and, and the chargers than there is between, I think the chargers and just about any team. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot understand. I, I really am. If you, if you didn't, if you just took the Packers picks and erased them, I two things. I don't know how I don't know if the team is better or worse. Uh and then secondarily, I don't know how many of those players are still available now today. Yeah. <laughs> Slash in like the fifth or sixth round. I mean the 
the the thing yeah the, the thing that i don't get is constantly you know sort of overfitting to why you didn't make the super bowl last year when in reality the reason you didn't make the super bowl is just you weren't that good i mean you were a 9 and 7 10 and 6 team um you know to uh, and you somehow lucked into 13 and 3 got a buy all this kind of fun stuff and um and and what you saw is okay we didn't get the one seed because we got blown out in san francisco in the middle part of the season we didn't make the super bowl because we got blown out in san francisco we must be the niners when in reality you can't i don't think you can be the niners your your play caller is not good enough let's be real he has not made an offense better at the nfl level no matter where he's gone your quarterback is not the type like if you make if you try what's the example like it's like you know, taking a hundred bucks and going to, to in and out, right. Making Aaron Rodgers play like Jimmy G, no offense to Jimmy G, but it's wasting talent. Uh, And then you just simply don't have the talent that San Francisco has on the outside to actually make it worthwhile. Use check and Kittle without the receivers that San Francisco has without the scheme and the play caller they have aren't really much. And and so you can't build from the inside out if you're green Bay, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It seems very clear that they're trying to copy a team that they're not really equipped uh, to copy. I mean, so A.J. Dillon, uh, Josiah DeGuara, Kamal Martin. What I thought was really funny is apparently A.J. Dillon, Jordan Love, and Kamal Martin have been training together in Santa Ana. So there are these pictures of them, like, hanging out. And it, it honestly looks like – kind of looks like um, like freshman, sophomore year high school when you, like, meet some new friends and you guys take, like, kind of awkward pictures sort of, like, on the on the street like kind of at night and it's like, yeah, we've been hanging out. It's pretty cool. Some like ass that, out hugs. Yeah. That's really what it reminded me of. And, uh, I, I mean, I can't imagine they're going to be showing that picture when they win a super bowl in, in five years. Um, yeah, yeah but it, it just seemed to me, I, I literally could not wrap my head around what they were doing. And man, I, what do you think the, the uh, timeline on the floor is well he's gonna get you know he's he's gonna get the same like i mean it's it's what the what's the timeline on on matt Nagy, right plus one don't you think yes but the bears are in a position to improve next year and i have a hard time seeing the packers improving and i could see the packers getting way worse like so Rodgers can take this one of two ways he can say I'm gonna show you he shows up and dominates or he goes you know what you guys are screwed like enjoy Jordan Love and he because he can do that right he can torpedo that entire team and then you've got Jordan Love and this like monolithic offense out there and you know, like, what would it take? I'm really curious. What would it take right now if someone called up the the Packers and said, we want to trade for, for Rodgers? Well, the dead money is such a travesty, right? That's the huge part. That's like the, that's the secondary part about why this draft is so bad. But um, uh, I would say after next season, depending upon how Rodgers plays, it's going to be like a first round pick at least, right? Yeah. I mean, Rodgers is no spring chicken though. Like he's like 37, 36 yeah. or whatever. So it's not, 
I mean, this is not easy for anybody, but I think that Rogers probably had more value basically to, to basically to the Packers than any other team. Right. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, yeah, it's mystifying. I, I would feel like it's been beaten into the ground. Uh, how bad their draft has been. I, I can't remember a more universally hated um, draft than, than this Packers draft. Like the only, there are like three people defending it on Twitter. That's right. it. They're all eating cheese curds in Manitowoc. So, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, all right. Uh, let's get into, um, let's, let's quickly go over draft props. How did you do? Well, uh, so personally, I had a couple that we didn't print that didn't do poorly. It did poorly. So I don't know. I think I probably broke even, maybe a little bit of a loser this week, but. Okay. The ones that we put up on the site. So Ben Brown, our colleague who does a great job, he posted four of them about two months ago and they went three and one. He had rugs under 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. He had Swift over eight, 28 and a half. And then he had Mims under 33 and a half, which was somewhat of a sweat because he was picked at 33. Uh, and then the one that he had as a loser was worse first offensive lineman, which I think was probably the best bet out of all three of these or four of these, but it just didn't hit. So, um, yeah rugs under 15 and a half was yeah he got it at plus 108 which giving the the way that it closed was was pretty good and then on on friday we printed out a few of picks and we talked about them on the prop show brought to you by FanDuel. we had indianapolis takes a wide receiver which was plus 125 we had new england takes a safety which is plus 400 and jalen johnson the first cornerback taken which is plus 300 so all all of those are plus price and hit and the ones that we lost I still feel good about Komet over 43 and a half. He was drafted at 43 um, Cleveland as the first offensive lineman taken at plus 155. He was the first tackle taken, um, but not the first line taken. There was an interior player taken a little bit earlier. And then Jonathan Taylor, the first running back was plus 260. That didn't really have a chance as the lions swiftly took Deandre of Georgia. I mean, that was incredible. So, um, it was a fun time. I mean, honestly, I thought we had a pretty good gauge on the whole thing. We had an article about Rager going plus 160 in the first round. That one was pretty good. Um, talked about rugs and sort of the evolution of his prop, which is great. And then Simmons, I think Simmons was the one that was sort of the under was the good play, and then the over was the good play, and he ended up going over. So, um, I had one more, and I'm blanking oh uh Clyde Edwards-Lair first running back taken I got that at 600 plus 600 um and I also had Ruggs first wide receiver taken uh at I think close to the same price I bet it multiple times so I came out uh I I did really well I basically just listened to you know you and then <laughs> the one yeah the the big loser that I had was was worse like I I bought into the worse when it was transitioning from Wills to Wurfs at, at the favorite to be four, I scooped up a ton of Wurfs. And then, so the Thomas pick was good for PFF, but bad ultimately for my bankroll in that sense. Yeah, that's that's the worst. The Wurfs, yeah. Um, Man, maybe I need more sleep. That was bad. <laughs> what that do you think? Really okay, let's let's talk about win totals here. Yes. Okay, I, and we're putting up an article kind of going through all of them. Um Bet online has them all for basically every single team. What are, what's one to me? I find there's one win total that is a complete and utter trap. And I want to see if you can guess it. 
complete trap. Ooh. Um, man. Uh, I So I have two in mind. Um, one, so, and I'll preface this by saying, I think the big thing to remember with win totals and the draft and is that it's very rare that you're going to find players that are going to make a huge difference this year. And I think that's even more so the case this season, right? Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I'm going to, I'm going to look to a team that had a quote, good draft, but that like probably still wasn't that good and probably still won't be that good. And so the two that I would think about are um, the Niners at 10 and a half and the Vikings at, uh, are they nine? Yep. And nine is over plus a hundred, which I think is another, is, is a trappy part of that. Right. Yep. So I got one, I got, I was right. Well, so the one that I think, so yes, the Vikings were second on my list of traps. Here's okay. to me is the biggest trap. And, and I, I know I, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but Arizona over seven and a half ah. is the biggest trap of all of them. Yes. Because yeah. you know, it's they funny. Were, I looked, that's the first one on our list. And I looked at it and I go like, there's no way it's a trap. Cause there's no way anyone is like making that big jump for them. But yet. do you, but here's the thing. You look at the Rams, people think are going to stink. True. Uh, the Seahawks, people are always down on Seahawks. Niners. I think like, you know, people think that they'll regress and Arizona's had a great offseason. This is a two win improvement from the total last year and a th- Basically, to get an over, you need a three-win improvement from last. That's just way too much in a division as tough as the NFC West. So I'm not betting under because I don't want to see – like, I don't want to root against this young team that, like, is ascending. But I'm not – there's no way in hell any of my real dollars are going on this over here. Um, that is not even a trap for me because I'm not even remotely close to betting on them going 8-8 eight and eight or better. Yeah. Um, Okay, uh, let me ask you this: Is there any is there anyone that you think a team changed so much because of the draft that you are now thinking about their win total differently? That's a great um, that's a great question. Um, the only one that I can think of, and this again, I've always talked about Denver being this team. But there's a decent chance that the New York Giants are the 2017 um, Jags, 2018 Bears, 2019 Broncos. Not because their defense is good, but because you have the new coach, you have protection around a young quarterback, you have talent around him, and it's six and a half minus 105 to the over. Yep. So to me, that's that's a thing that if you're – if you don't buy the hype on Philly and Dallas at all, it might be worth a sprinkle on the Giants over. If it hadn't been for Philly and Dallas, in my opinion, having two of the drafts that actually matter for this year, I'd be right there. But I just have such a hard time seeing them come out of those four games against those teams with much of a chance. Um, There's also the... Daniel Jones, I we're over the majority of people are overvaluing Daniel Jones. Like yeah. there are things that did not come out in the results that are not good process wise. Um, for me, there 
there is one that um, that I think is is kind of uh, of glaring here, and that's the Chargers. I could just see this going so poorly, and the Broncos. Um, I thought the Broncos improved so much. Yeah. I, and the Chargers are at seven and a half and the under is plus one oh five. There is there is a really good shot that that this just goes terribly for football in Los Angeles. <laughs> like like really bad. And that the the Chargers are in real bad shape. I mean if they go seven and nine this year, that's like with Herbert, if Herbert's starting, they're doing better than seven and nine. Right. I, I put, seven, you know, given the talent level of that team, I don't know if I can go under, but I certainly am not getting over when there's a huge chance that Justin Herbert's going to start a, a decent number of those games. Um, if this number was eight and a half, I bury it under. I, you know what I mean? Like, I, yep. the thing about it is the Raiders might suck and the Denver Broncos might suck and the Chargers have enough talent to sort of like weasel their way to eight wins. Um, even if they're like the most, annoying team in football like they have been for like the past five years I'm with you there um any so the green bay packers are nine and a half but the under is minus 135 this is one where i just when i look at the division i i'm not i'm just not going to the under is too pricey for me with aaron Rodgers, you know pissed off in a bad division I don't think that, you know, 10 wins is not that hard to get some, you know, for teams like that. Um, if it was more like minus 110, I'd probably take it, though. Yeah, uh, nine, nine is high. Um, <laughs> is all I'll say. Like, that's, a, man, I mean, they're going to win 10 games this year with what they just did. Yeah, I think, but this this issue is long term, right? This is a long term yeah. ramification problem for them, as opposed to a a short term horribleness, in my estimation. Are you in any way tempted by Baltimore and Kansas City unders? Uh, I think Baltimore's under is a is a good play. Kansas City is at plus one hundred five. Yeah, I mean the thing is, is there's so much more that can go wrong for these teams that can go right for these teams. So um, they might just be a blind bet for me, both to the under, given you know just historically how win totals work. Last one that I had earmarked um, were the Cincinnati Bengals at five and a half. Yep. They get Joe Burrow. They get Jonah Williams. They get T. Higgins. Um, to me, that's like that's such a huge improvement there. The only thing that causes gives me pause is how tough I think that division is. Yeah, that's that's the hard part. To me, um, you're you're hoping that they can squeak out a win against the Browns, uh, squeak out a win against you know the the Pittsburgh Steelers, then they're on their way. But that's really hard. I mean, again, you know. Maybe maybe let the market come in and bet under a little bit so you can get, maybe get this at, at an even you know hundred. But last season, they were a six win team if you gave them half of a win for every loss by a score or less. Uh, you add Joe Burrow; he's about one and a half wins over what they had last season if you count the Ryan Finley games. Um, so 
they are fundamentally better than this five and a half here. It'll be interesting to see if they can actually hit on that, given the rest of the division likely improved, um, other than the Ravens, who uh, you know can only go down. Uh, all right, I think we should save the rest for the article. What do you think? Yep, let's do it. All right, uh, last but not least, what what are you going to do to pass the time after this week is over? Man, I mean, we have so many cool projects, you know, at PFF. I mean, just working with all the the data we have and working with great people. That that's going to be most of it, right? I mean, we yeah, got but, less. But like, you're still the nice thing about it is you don't have to pull like close to all nighters anymore. So theoretically, you have this time that, you know, from like, what, 10 to midnight, where you have a little more flexibility. Watch a little bit. Of, yeah, I mean, my wife and I have been watching the newsroom. We've been watching some, you know, shows and stuff while I've been working. Hopefully, I'll get to pay more attention here. Attention. I would say, but from the pod's perspective, like, without much to lead in on, right? Like, we don't even know when the season is going to start. I mean, we our hope is that it starts on time and all that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, unless there's a huge blowback to this, I mean, we're going to be probably doing a lot of interviews of people, um, you know, talking, you know, sort of a retroactive look to every team. I mean, uh, you know, this is probably where we want some listener feedback as to what we should do on the podcast for the next, you know, carry the two, three months. Yes. I think we should do um, uh, some some fun stuff uh, as well. Make fun of ourselves. Um that that would be good. That I'm betting uh, Madden Sims. Yes, uh, and I, I'm all for it. I mean, any any and all ideas um, would be great. I, you know, we did the kind of like rewatchable thing with games last year. The tough thing about football is I don't feel as though it's as easily rewatchable as some other sports, which is kind of tough. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely some things we can do that that will be fun. Guests is an obvious one. I think we should try and have a guest, you know, every week if possible. Uh, well, another possible. thing that we could certainly do is take a look back historically at some of the, you know, the data oddities and some, you know, and, and some educational aspects of it would be cool talking about sort of our processes, um, you know, because, you know, as we mature as a company, we're going to be, I think, a little bit more on the teaching other people football type of thing. Um, so, you know, all those, all those ideas I think are good. Um because we, we certainly have time. And I think people, as, as we've found out over the past couple months, people are thirsty for football and, you know, especially without other sports to sort of like, you know, quench the thirst, like we're, you know, we're going to have to be there for people as they, as they follow the sport they love. So send us, uh, any ideas, um, hit either of us up on Twitter and, uh, we'll try and make it happen. We appreciate you guys hanging out and listening Go read uh, all the great content that's on pff.com. There's a bunch. Eric is writing a ton of it. It's fantastic. Uh, Everyone is doing just a tremendous job, though. So go check it out. Enjoy. Send us your feedback. Have a great post-draft week. We'll be back on Thursday. uh, And we will have a guest on Thursday. uh, But I'm going to keep it a secret. You'll want to tune in. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, So uh, have a great Monday. We'll see you guys later.